Hello and welcome to the EV Life Podcast. I'm Crystal Maharaj, your host. This podcast is brought to you by AMA, the Alberta Motor Association, to help Albertans learn more about EVs, including how AMA will be there to support you as more people think about switching over when they're making their next vehicle purchase. I'm joined now by Allison Bench, who is the producer of the podcast. Hi, Allison. Hi, thanks for having me. Love talking to you. We've worked on this podcast for quite a few months now, and we're going to get into our first interview soon with the EVAA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is such a great episode because it covers so many different topics. And, you know, there's more and more EVs being spotted on the roads every day. And and I think people have more and more questions about these EVs and, and what it means to us, to everybody. So... I think that this first episode is going to really answer a lot of those questions that people have right off the bat. Yeah. And that was really our goal with this first episode is, you know, let's just have a general conversation about EVs because we don't want to assume that everyone knows everything. Like maybe, you know, a little bit about EVs, maybe you're just kind of learning about it. And so we spoke to Andrew Badiak and Michael Correa from the EVAA, which um, stands for the Electric Vehicle Association of Alberta. Maybe we should clarify some terms that kind of come up in the interview. Yeah, yeah. I think a big one is you might hear us talk about ICE vehicles. Yes, and that comes up in several episodes, probably all. Yes, I think it's a very common acronym used in the EV world. So what is an ICE vehicle? Does it mean a cold vehicle? (laughs) No, you would think that being in Alberta, but no, it stands for, so it's ICE, you say ICE, but you can also say ICE, internal combustion engine vehicle. So just like the kind of vehicle that we probably all have grown up driving. So your traditional vehicle or the traditional vehicle as like you said, most people yeah, are accustomed to driving. Basically just a gas vehicle. And it's yeah. just to differentiate it from EVs, right? So when we say EVs, of course, we're talking about electric vehicles. We'll get into the the great conversation that you had with EVAA, but we also did go out to the EV Expo that took place in Edmonton mm-hmm. this past September, just to kind of talk to the average Albertans and see what they think about EVs and, and what they're looking forward to, to kind of get an idea of what kind of questions people want to have answered. Yeah. And that EV Expo was held in Edmonton, as Allison mentioned, in September. And this was the first EV Expo that the city of Edmonton put on. And there was a lot of excitement there. So let's go to some clips. Do you have any concerns over owning an electric vehicle? Uh, Yes, the cost of the battery long term. You know, our winters, which everybody says they've explained how the battery drains faster in our winters here in Alberta. And then just the cost of uh, how they mine the batteries, the lithium doesn't just appear out of the ground, right? I definitely don't want to drive anything but electric because it's just so wonderful. The uptake, like I had to drive a couple ice vehicles since our electric and it's just not it as sucks. nice. It smells yeah, it's good. Nice. The only thing is there is some concerns that like is the grid, if everybody goes electric, is the grid ready to go electric, right? Was that the first time you drove an electric vehicle? Yeah, that was the first time. And the biggest thing, like anyone who is a first time driver of EV should, uh, you know, focus on the torque. So uh, I'm not that, uh, you know, high speeding guy. Probably young folks like to step up on the pedal. But uh, yeah, it it certainly has a thrill. (laughs) (laughs) And why are you interested in those types of cars? Because they're better, they're better. 
they're better than gas because they can they reduce pollution and they they're faster and they're they're more cl uh, cleaner um for me it's been fantastic it's just like driving a regular car but i don't have to line up for gas <laughs> <laughs> So those were just some clips of interviews we from people we met while we were at the Edmonton EV Expo. And there were so many great organizations that were at this expo, including the EVAA. And they're going to be our first guest on the podcast today. So I'd love to introduce to you Andrew Badiak and Michael Correa. Uh, just a little background on the EVAA before we get into the interview. The EVAA was founded in 2014, and it actually started up as a Facebook group just meant to unite Albertans who were interested in EVs and maybe owned EVs. And it's since transformed into a full nonprofit organization, and they aim to promote the adoption of electric vehicles in the charging infrastructure across the province. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Andrew and Michael. Well, thank you both for joining me here on our first episode of the podcast. We're just looking forward to hearing your knowledge about EVs and sharing that with our audience. So I'll get right into the first question. So very basic, Andrew, maybe you can start off for us. What is an EV and how is it different from a traditional vehicle? You know, on the outside, it's generally a car, right? The fundamental aspects of driving an electric vehicle aren't too different than driving an internal combustion engine vehicle. Big difference, obviously, is how the uh, vehicle gets power and moves. EVs today are running on 50 uh, kilowatt hour packs or larger, typically. Um, these are batteries that are similar to what's in uh, laptops from a very basic level. You power them up overnight, um, and they typically allow you to drive 350 uh, plus kilometers on a full charge. They have very few moving parts as far as propelling the vehicle forward. And with that, it comes uh, the benefit of much less pieces that can go wrong and much less maintenance requirements. The brakes of the EV uh, use what's called regenerative braking when you slow down. So instead of just letting waste energy go out as heat, uh, it puts that energy, some of that, back into the battery pack, allowing you to go a little bit further. And again, that helps with reduced maintenance because you won't need to do um, brake replacements very often. So yeah, EVs, a lot of people think they are some crazy different type of vehicle when really when you get past the difference of not going to the gas station to fill up and instead um, if you have a, the ability to power at your house plugging in overnight and having it full in the morning then you drive it like a regular car and you don't think about it and you also don't have to think about every week am I low on gas uh, when do I go to the gas station oh I'm busy right now I don't want to go but I have to rush out in the morning so is it going to last me till tomorrow evening you know these little challenges that people have with gas cars that with EVs because they're full every day simply aren't there. That sounds enticing. Mike, is there anything that you'd like to add? I think the only thing to add is to reiterate that people don't realize the day-to-day -day inconveniences of a gas vehicle. We, it, we're, we're raised on it, so it's completely normal to us and it's second nature. So we don't realize how inconvenienced we are day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week, uh, having to fill up a vehicle versus uh, having an EV. It's an unknown it's a new thing. It's it's something to get used to. But once you get used to it, you look back and you realize how oddly inconvenient ICE vehicles are and how unaware you were. So safe to say neither one of you are going back to an ICE vehicle. That is a correct statement <laughs> from my standpoint. Absolutely. Um, I know I was talking to Mike about his uh, uh, trip that he just came back from. And, you know, one of the issues that people have with EVs is the idea of range anxiety. 
which in the city is essentially irrelevant because you're full every day. But on trips, it becomes a thing you have to think a little bit about, but just a little bit. Um, Mike was stopping uh, just to stretch his legs and have a bio break or grab a bite to eat as often as the car needed to charge. So Mike, is, that not, is it fair to say that you weren't inconvenienced on your trip by charging? No, it was, we were stopping more often. So we would typically charge up, we'd overcharge because we went to grab a coffee, go to the washroom. And then the vehicle tells you where to stop and charge and for how long. So we would plan out the chargers and say, in three hours, you stop at this charger, you arrive at this percent and you charge up and 25 minutes, you'll be ready to go. And it actually tells you while you're charging, your vehicle's ready to go and it sends you a notification on your phone. You're ready to go to continue your trip. We would always stop, like we weren't going to drive for three hours straight. So we'd find a charger about an hour and a half to two hours away and add that to our, our navigation and it would prep for that charger and it would recalculate the trip. And then, then we'd stop there and then it would tell us another three hours and we just find one an hour and a half away. So there was no point where we were waiting for the vehicle to charge. It was stop, get out, stretch our legs, go for a walk, grab a coffee, go to the bathroom, check our emails at Wi-Fi hotspots. And then within 15 minutes, the vehicle's ready to go and we're not really ready to go. So it wasn't a thing charging at all. So it doesn't sound like either of you really have that range anxiety and that might just come with having owned EVs for many years and learning how you have to treat it so that you never run out. But it's something that's come up, I think, with a lot of people who are considering buying an EV. And so do you think that that range anxiety is misplaced? It is, as Mike touched on earlier, it's just a different way of thinking and people aren't used to it. And so foreign things are a little bit scary to people and that's understandable. But once you become comfortable that every day you're starting with a full charge and comfortable that the car knows where the chargers are and there's the chargers to go to your destination, you just, you just go. Uh, I do trips now where I arrive with 2% and I'm comfortable with that because of the experience I have with my car and the fact that I know speed can absolutely get you a bunch of range back if you slow down, if you're really in a pinch, not that you have to. And not that I, when I arrive with 2%, it's not because there weren't chargers to arrive with more. It's just because I don't need to. I'll charge less or I'll skip a charger because I'm very comfortable that I'm going to make my destination. When I first got the car, no, I wasn't like that. It was definitely a little bit more of a concern. And so we understand that when people get cars, they're going to get EVs. They're going to be concerned about this. They're going to overcharge. They're going to stop at more charges than they need to. And that's completely fine. But as people get comfortable with it, they'll find that they can start taking some of these shortcuts and, the, and it just becomes a kind of a joy to do road trips with these vehicles. So you mentioned that charging isn't really an issue in the city. You know that there are a lot of chargers. What is the state of charging options in rural Alberta? Yeah, so we're in early days. Um, this is very early days. I would imagine I wasn't around during the Model T era, but I would imagine that the first automobiles started in larger centers and moved out to rural areas later on. So we're kind of in those early days still. And the difference is, I think, the infrastructure is being built out faster than probably it was back then. So right now, especially north of Calgary, we're kind of what they call a charging desert. And it's being filled in quite quickly. We, for example, we, we went up to Fort McMurray to visit uh, my sister-in-law. And we, we had to borrow my brother-in-law's pickup truck, another brother-in-law's pickup truck, uh, because we couldn't get our pickup truck up to Fort McMurray at this time with the ch current charging infrastructure. 
And my brother-in-law was quite happy to take our, our F-150 Lightning for the weekend uh, while we borrowed his his truck. And it, it reminded me why I didn't like driving a gas vehicle, but there are gas stations going up to Fort McMurray. So he was hesitant to give me back my truck, and I was very willing to give him back his truck, especially after uh, filling it back up with gas. But I see that as a short-term uh, pain within the next three to five years chargers are going to be quite proliferate. So I think personally, the technology is there. We don't need longer range vehicles. My bladder cannot <laughs> allow me to buy a 600, 700 kilometer range vehicle. So it'd just be wasted battery. So to me, it's just the charging infrastructure. That's what we need. And the anxiety goes away and road tripping an EV becomes as easy as road tripping a, a, a gas vehicle. And you can certainly plan your trip, even if you're driving through areas, I guess, that are charging deserts, you can sort of prepare for that. Is that something, I guess it would depend on the vehicle that you have and what the range is, correct? Yeah, some some vehicles are easier than others. Um, so Tesla is the best, like they're the best, at their software is the best. It's, you know, uh, you can't argue with it. Their vehicles will tell you where to stop and for how long, and um, it's not really an issue. For charging deserts and for other manufacturers who don't have quite as good of a navigation on board, there's a website that a lot of EV users use called A Better Route Planner, and it's just abetterroutplanner.com. And uh, you can put in what type of vehicle you have or what type of vehicle you're looking at buying. You can put in the conditions so you can say, I want to see if I can make it to, we typically go to my in-laws, you know, three hours away. If it's minus 40 and snowing, where am I going to charge and, and what is it going to look like? And you can put in all the parameters and you can get quite nerdy about it, headwinds and everything. And it'll tell you what your range is, where to stop and charge, how long you have to stop and charge based on your vehicle's charging curve and, and everything. Another great tool online is PlugShare. It's not so much for uh, planning your trip as much as showing you where the chargers are. And when you go look at Alberta, Edmonton area has lots, south of Edmonton has lots. And then when we're talking about Edmonton and north, you can go east and west without too much of an issue with most EVs. Most, uh, pretty much every currently manufactured EV, uh, there are chargers on the uh, highway to go east and west. But north is where the challenge lies. You can make it to Fort Mac in some EVs, but you're going to be charging at a very slow charger and you have to decide if you, you know, want to do that. So if anyone talks to us about EV ownership, you know, one of the first things we ask is what are their needs? Because if they're going to say, I need to go to Fort McMurray once a week, an EV is not right for your only car. If you can have multiple cars and you can reconsider it, if you, you know, can really borrow cars that frequently like Mike did the once, that's also an option. If you're going to go to Fort McMurray once a year, and if you're not in a rush when you go, then you could consider an EV and the slow charge to get up there currently. Faster charges will inevitably come. Or as Mike has done, you can borrow someone else's vehicle for that trip or rent a car. You know, from my experience of owning an electric car, I wouldn't trade that just to save a car rental fee once in a while. Um, I've never needed to rent a car. When I first got my electric car, my wife had a gas car. So, you know, that was the backup. And that backup went away when she saw I wasn't paying for gas and got her own electric car. And now we have no gas cars in the household. And that hasn't hindered us one bit. And we've still done road trips around Alberta without a concern. So I have a two-part question. When we're looking at any product and we're looking at the environmental impact of that product, it's important to consider the entire production 
as part of that equation. And that's something that's come up with EVs. So first question, I guess, is are EVs truly zero emission vehicles? And then can you speak to the overall impact on the environment from production onwards? Yeah. So are EVs zero emission? Yes and no. So when they say zero emission, they're really saying at the vehicle. So they don't produce emissions at the vehicle while you're driving, while you're sitting idling. So the advantage of that is when you're sitting in a Tim Hortons drive through idling, the person behind you isn't sucking all of that nauseous chemicals or nauseous off-gassing into their vehicle to, to be able to smell it and, and breathe it in. So if everyone in that Tim Hortons drive through was in an EV, there wouldn't be the emissions that in the city, if you're sitting in a bu- on a bus and in traffic, the bicyclist behind the truck or behind the bus isn't breathing it in. So there's a lot of advantages to keeping the emissions out of our communities. The second part of that is that the emissions are at the generation of, of the power. So you're, if the power is coming from coal-fired power plant, then there's going to be more emissions than if the power is coming from hydro or solar thing about that, though, is even if, statistic I heard a few years ago, was even if the entire grid was produced off of coal, it's still cleaner than each individual vehicle burning gas at the source of the vehicle. Because internal combustion engines are so inefficient. They're only about 30 to 40 percent efficient. The rest of that energy is going into heat and uh noise, vibration, all of that is releasing that excess energy. EVs are extremely efficient. They are 80 to 90% efficient in how they convert that electricity into mobility. So even if all of your power generation was coal, it's still less emissions than gas vehicles are currently. Our website, thegrid.albertaev.ca, which will go look at the live um, electricity production in the province, and show you what it is. Uh, a lot of people think Alberta is a coal-powered province, and we are not anymore. And we it's only moving in that direction further with taking our last coal power plants, converting them um, over the next, I think, two years or one year. And our tool also will let you compare this electric car that I'm interested in and this gas car that I have, whether that's a very efficient gas car or whether that's a comparable gas car because you're going to spend a lot of money and get a fancy electric car. It'll compare the annual cost for fuel, but as well as the emissions. When we talk about the price, purchasing an EV, um, another question that sort of comes up from a lot of people is the cost comparison. So buying an EV versus buying an ICE vehicle. Is the price comparable or are you just because we are still, can we say that we're still in the infancy stages of EVs and so the cost will be a little bit higher right now, but maybe that'll go down eventually. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. There's a premium today to pay for an EV. That premium has decreased over time. The supply chain challenges that our recent world has found itself in has undone those, some of those decreases, but that's a temporary thing. When you take a Chevy Bolt, one of the more economical EV options out there, and compare it to a, another, I can't remember what the, I think it might have been a Nissan Versa, but another economical car, the Bolt was about 10000 more to buy, give or take. I don't remember the exact number. But over an eight-year ownership period, it ends up being thousands less to own because you're not paying for gasoline. And that wasn't even factoring in the maintenance savings. So when you look at ownership period, an EV is cheaper. But understanding that some people don't have the finances to make that $10,000-ish 
jump, there is, you know, that extra money up front. We wish that would go away, um, but it's it's still there. It, it will decrease. And those people that can do the math and, you know, live with the car for the ownership period will see a cost reduction. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the other aspect is when people are looking at purchasing an EV, one thing they have to take into, into consideration is that typically, unfortunately, still today, I think as we get more vehicles on the market, more trim levels will come, the trim levels will start coming down. But right now, EVs are always the highest trim level. So they, they all come with heated seats, heated steering wheel, adaptive cruise control, all the bells and whistles. It's very difficult to find an EV that's basic. So top picks for EVs. We'll go with Andrew first. What are your top three, top two? Do you have a top, a list? I've been very impressed and I've heard very good things from local owners of the Hyundai Ioniq 5 and their sister vehicle from Kia, the EV6, I believe it is. Just as far as a balance of cost and range and features you're getting um, and the styling of the vehicle. So that's kind of Hyundai, that company has just been doing really good things all of a sudden with EVs, which is fantastic. Tesla, their Model 3, their Model Ys are obviously kind of seen as the gold standard. And from a charging perspective, they give you the you know greatest options out there. And for Alberta, the importance of the Ford F-150 Lightning, I don't think can be underestimated or understated. It's opening a lot of eyes already. And uh, I think as more people get past some of the uncertainty and doubt about the vehicle, it's almost tailor-built for a lot of Albertans. So we're going to see a lot more of those on the road. The Chevy Bolt, I think, can't be underestimated either. Um, I don't know how Chevy is making money off of it or if they are making money off of it, but it is a fantastic vehicle for the price. What you're getting for the price cannot be understated. You get long range. The charging is low, so it's not a road tripper, but it is probably one of the best commuter vehicles you can get. So that one I definitely add to the list. I would say off Andrew's list, I have two of the three. So I love the Lightning. I think it's a fantastic product. I think it, the utility is incredible. Just to give a sense of it, you can, you know, we tow our tent trailer out to a campsite. I can plug into the campsite and recharge my truck while I run the the tent trailer off of out of the bed there's plugins in the bed of the truck i can run the tent trailer off of the, the truck while i charge the truck at the end of the weekend i'm fully charged i don't have to stop at a gas station or even a charging station i can just start heading home the utility of that truck is is phenomenal and then the model 3 and the model y it's the they're the iphone um you can't <laughs> talk about your list of your favorite phones without talking about the iphone there's the iPhone and then there's every other phone out there, right? All the other manufacturers. So people might not want to, I don't have an iPhone. Uh, I'm not into iPhones, but you can't understate the importance of the iPhone in, in the phone space, just like you can't understate the importance of the Model 3 and the Model Y in the EV space. They are the standard. They're leading in so many ways. When we think of the future of transportation, what are you most excited about in the next decade? silence in the cities from an abundance of EVs on the road. Uh, I don't think it could be appreciated how loud ICE cars are and how quiet in exchange the EVs are, as well as not quite an EV-specific thing, even though most of the focus is on EV side, but autonomy, ability for the car to do more of the driving and be safer on the roads than any generation of vehicles in the past. I think it's going to catch some people off guard, and it's just going to be a anything we do to make lives safer and uh, people healthier is a bonus. 
Well, thank you both for joining me on our first episode of the podcast. I really appreciate you both taking the time to speak to me and to speak to our audience. Is there anything, any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Just if you have any further questions, feel free to reach out to the EVA. Uh, We're on Facebook, on Twitter, and our website is albertaev.ca. Thank you for listening to our first EV Life podcast episode. Tune in next week for our conversation with Terry Orr, also known as the Mad Scientist. So we're really excited for this conversation. Uh, Terry's just a Calgarian who developed a passion for retrofitting hot rods to electric vehicles. And it's going to be a fun conversation. We're so excited for you to hear it. Again, you can stream this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. It'll be out weekly. And connect with us if you have any questions, any topics you'd like to hear us cover. You can reach out to us at community at ama.ab.ca. And we're looking forward to hearing from you.